Uh, today is uh, Monday, the 27th of February, 2023. I think you said he was in jail for, what, two years? Uh, I, something like that. How long was he in jail? Wikipedia, the Wikipedia article says 10 months. Ah, so... 1951, 1951, he was about right. 22 years old. Right, right. He was, the, what was it called, the Hashmanayim? The, oh, the jail yeah. sentence was more than 10 months, but he evidently got out good behavior or political uh, intervention. But uh, unfortunately, uh, what he was in jail for, wait, let me check that these are on. What he was in jail for is exactly our problem now. You take law into your own hands. The pogrom, you know, people people are hysterical. I understand it, but it's no good because we have an army, and uh, you interfere with them. Right now, we have to catch the maca- the macab- the machablam. Uh, but okay, well, whatever. It's a very very difficult 24 hours for me. That's all I can tell you. From uh, the death of Atara to the two bo- brothers killed, and <sighs> to wake up this morning and to hear uh, everyone maledicting the people in Yehuda Vishomra, and America will soon criticize us, and Biden and the self-hating Jews, Shem uh, Yerachem. All right, but we got to be firm, go strong, and have nachat that to thank God. We have good children and good grandchildren, and in my case already, good great-grandchildren. And I have uh, quite a few grandchildren who are con- contributing heavily to the future security of this Jewish people, the state of Israel, etc. All right, uh, Dr. Allen, did you want to say something before I begin? Not, not before, okay. Uh, catch me, of uh, this the administrator of the Kola was looking for me. And she had to fill me in. Uh, life has changed. Uh, we've never really gotten over the uh, COVID-18, I think you call it in America. And um, uh, there are more people on the screen than in person, and more people who hear the tape than all of us put together times 10, I would imagine. All of us, including everyone on the screen and us here, times 100, perhaps. All right. Let us begin. Uh, you almost get, let me hear Recording the, in progress. Baruch Hashem. Uh, Rav Yoshua, where are you? You're in your car, you're in America, you're in Israel. Uh, you're a world-class Jew today. Baruch Hashem in Israel. All right. Uh, what you sent me on mikvah, leave that for Sunday's class. We had a lot going yesterday and... A lot of comments, a lot of emails, and I have, I have more to say. I'm, I'm not finished with the topic. Okay, um, regarding what we spoke about last week, uh, Rabbi Chil Yaakov and the mixed singing, and I showed you uh, Rav Kamenevsky uh, and what he wrote about it, Rav Nassim, and how he quotes my work on the Rav. So uh, quite a few people... I'm the one who mentioned this years and years ago. And they reminded me that in the volume, Learn Torah, Live Torah, Love Torah. It's the volume that Rivka Keitzblau wrote about her father. It's an excellent volume. And uh, yours truly caught the only mistake in it. I'm I'm still proud of what I caught. Uh, Rivka was writing that... uh, 
Her mother constantly kept her father in line and told them, don't waste time on politics. You just have to build Torah and teach Torah. Don't get involved in politics. And Rivka writes that in the first election, 1949, uh, her father got involved and uh, he tried to bring about a union between all the from Jews and Israel and didn't succeed. And I wrote to Rivka, Baruch Hashem, he didn't listen to you. And Rivka said, you see, my mother was right. I said, in that instance, your mother was not right. 1949, I've lectured on this, but the problem is, it's years ago I lectured, that you haven't heard it. In 1949, Mizrahi and Aguda ran a joint ticket. And they did the best they did in two modern times. Uh, could you imagine today a Gooder and Mizrahi r running a joint ticket? And if you saw Yeshiva World News, Rav Yitzhak Zilberstein, who's uh, a great London, a great post and he's my, he was my brother's post in medicine. Uh, he, he's an expert in medical problems. He just came out. I, c I couldn't believe my ears and my eyes. Uh, you don't have to carry guns. Uh, I, c I couldn't believe it's in today's Yeshiva World News. So uh, I, Rabbi Tite succeeded in 1949, despite his wife's uh, Musa. All right. Anyway. On, on, uh, the, on the volume that Rivka Blau wrote about her father, beginning on page 72, she, uh, she evidently, Rav Nassim Kamenetsky's book had not yet appeared. She doesn't refer to it. But she refers to a Torah tape, a story on Torah tape, a collection of audio tapes of Jewish topics. And they tell the story, as Rav Nassim has it, that Rav Baruch Bear walked out when the girls were singing with the men Zmirat. And uh, here Rivka says that, uh, she, that her, her mother and her aunt both remember the story Baruch Bar Leibowitz came to the States to raise funds for his yeshiva in 1929 and was a guest of the prayers in Elizabeth for Sukkot. And the prayer girls, her mother and her aunt, gave up their beds for the guests. They slept elsewhere uh, and they couldn't eat in the sukkah. There was no room for them. And uh, they tell the story that uh, then they started to sing songs for the holiday and the girls sang with them. With Reb Baruch Bear were some of his students who were accompanying him and helping him. And the students questioned whether this is permissible, Kolisha. And Rav Baruch Weir said, As min zakt filis, retmin it vegin Kolisha. Zay zagint filis mitanigin. That when you pray, well, the girl has a right to pray with the nigin. Uh, this was Bastia's account. Hannah, that's her aunt, remembered a slightly different phrasing. They're praising God with the Nikon. But according to this story, and I would go for Rivka that she's correct, uh, Rabbi Bet did not walk out. 
And Reb Nesson Kamenetsky was simply misled by Torah tapes. And Torah tapes is the old story that uh, everyone is frimmer than frum, and we crossed the boundaries of what Yiddishkeit is all about. I was very happy this morning on, that I'm, I'm not the only dummy in the world. Um, my Talmudim sent me a tape of Rabbi Yaakov Horowitz, who's very highly admired. He, he, if I'm not mistaken, he lives here in Hanof today. He has fought bitterly against the sexual scandals in the Torah world and the so-called Orthodox world. And uh, he is as adamant as I am that it is against Torah, not the published pictures of women. Shem Yerachim, we raise perverts. And I still suffer. I shake when I think of it. I tell you, if I would list ten terrible shocks in my life, Remember, I functioned under the communist with my, I have to give credit to my wife. Not simple, not simple how many months we spent in communist Russia. And uh, the shock that you take a picture of the Chafetz Chaim, famous picture I see in front of my eyes. He's sitting and talking with his son in front of his house. It's his second marriage. His first wife died young, and he married a second time and had children with her, uh, a son and a daughter. The daughter married Reb Mendelzak, I knew the daughter quite well. And uh, there's the Chafetz Chaim's wife standing in back of them, and they blot out her face. I mean, this is what you're telling me, that the Chafetz Chaim's wife is a sexual siren? And the Chavetz Chaim and his son, we men are all sexual fiends? To me it's frightening. And I'm happy to see Rabbi Yaakov Horowitz is not a YU person. Baruch Hashem. Gitten v'yadn b'ayin k'yachat. Shema v'zacha v'diba echad We both agree 100%. And I stand on it. I, and I can't, I can't bring Mishpachan to my house. My wife gets upset. Morty, you're in the same predicament. What about you, Charlie? Your wife is more liberal, or, uh, or, or you're the one who's not interested in mishpacha? She is We have very erudite people sitting here. Uh, sitting in front of you, do you drink Coca-Cola on Pesach, Dr. Allen, in your house? Thank the person in front of you. That's the Rav HaMachshir, Rabbi Noam Shlash. So, Baruch Hashem. Okay, something else that came up last week, and um, I thank Rabbi Moshe Katz sent me a, uh, he's a uh, Talmud of, of Rav Yitzchak Kutna, a friend of Rabbi Mark Wiener in Chicago. Mark, it's your friend. So uh, he, he told me when it came to Yom HaShoah, uh, he, Rav Kutner agreed with the Rav that there shouldn't be a separate holiday. Rabarim Salavechik, the Rav's kid brother, and Rav Hutner's Talmud. Remember, Rabarim Salavechik always referred to Rav Yitzchak Hutner as Rebbe Mufak. Uh, you got to remember when Rabbi Moshe went to America in '29, he left his wife and children who were still in Warsaw, and he left Rav Hutner in charge of Rabarim. Rav Hutner was in charge of Rabarim. And uh, Rabarin later taught Rafutna for many years in Masifta Rabbeinu Chaim Berlin. And Rabarin uh, was 100% in favor of Yom HaShoah. 
for the reasons I spoke about last week. But he tells a cute story here that one time Rabarin was invited to speak Yom HaShoah at the Hillel House in Brooklyn College. And uh, evidently Rav Hutton sent his daughter, Bruria. She was a classmate of my wife, by the way, in some college classes. So Bruria went to hear Rabarin and was taking notes. This the famous Dr. Bruria Hutner, who wrote a doctorate, a very fine doctorate of Tzvi Hishchayat. It's never been published, which is a shame, but you can download it. It's available online. And uh, she took notes, and evidently she retold the whole Shia to her father. And... Uh, that day he sees Rabarin in the Chaim Berlin Medrash and he calls him over and says to him, Aaron, you gave a fabulous shear. It was great. Your Zayda Reb Chaim couldn't have done better. The sources you quoted, the way you put it together, and after giving him this big compliment, he pauses and he says, but you shouldn't have given it on Yom HaShoah. You follow him? He let him know. He let him know that he uh, didn't agree with him regarding Yom HaShoah. All right, I'm now ready to move further. And we're still in the introduction. Uh, I hope I'll be finished uh, half hour, 40 minutes, and we can move on. What, what did we see from Rabbi Chiel Yaakov Weinberg? And I think uh, you're holding up, oh, a date. I didn't give the date. Yomo, can you put a date on at the start of the year when you record it? Today is Monday, February 27th, 2023. Jack, thanks for holding up that sign. Uh, and Jack, thanks. If you meet Rav Avram Abba Weingart again, tell him how I devoted... A f- it worked out quite a few sure in both in the Sunday class and the Monday class to his Rebbe, Rabbi Chiyak of Weinberg. You told him, okay, good. Uh, we're talking to each other. It's an amazing world. That's all I can say. So, um, Avram Abba Weingart, describing uh, Rabbi Chil Yaakov Weinberg, one lesson you derive from it, as much as Rabbi Chil Yaakov Weinberg became a Western citizen, I don't want to use the word German, but he was basically a German citizen, and he loved the world. He, he embraced it with two hands. He couldn't shake Lithuania out of his soul. And the Litvishi Yeshiv, his youth, the people he knew, the people he met, it overpowered any other experience in his life. And here you see from, I, quote, I ended off the class quoting Diane Grunfeld's uh, wonderful book, which it's really a shame that it hasn't been republished. Could be someone should re-edit it and add material, but it's a magnificent volume by a very unique individual, Diane Isidore Grunfeld, on uh, Ralph Hirsch. And, but with it all, and all the credit to Reb David Tzvi Hoffman and Reb Yaakov Weinberg and Avram Elio Kaplan, 
couldn't shake Lita. And if you were growing up, if the world was normal, Charlie, and you were growing up in Germany, and you want to study at Hildesheimer, Rabbi Filiaka would say to you, go study in Mir, in Slabotka. After five years, then come and study with me. Now, I want to talk about someone else that the, the, the world doesn't give proper credit to. And all right, that's part of life. Sometimes, you know, you get credit in your lifetime when you don't deserve it, and sometimes all the credit comes many years after you're gone. Rabaye Bina. Rabaye Bina was a Litvisha, Talmud Chacham, a Mira. And on the other hand, never did anyone become more Israeli than Aryeh Bina. I was just talking with a young man yesterday who became an Israeli citizen two weeks ago. A kid here studying in the Kolel, a madrich in, in uh, Torah Shragam. And uh, I said, you became a citizen? What about the army? So he tells me he waited until he was 23, I think he said, or 22. After 21, they don't take you anymore. In my time, I did basic training. At, I was 38 years old when I did basic. Until the Yom Kippur War, they didn't take any Americans because the State Department objected. After the Yom Kippur War, it was Pikuach uh, Nefesh. They took everyone. Uh, so I told him, you know, you're never going to be a real Israeli. To be a real Israeli, you have to do I mean, It's part of the experience. It, it gives you understanding what the country is about, what, what forges us, what keeps us together, etc., etc. Aye Bina comes to Israel, a Litvish yeshiva mensch. He becomes a soldier, served in the British army, in the Jewish division, the Palestinian division, I think it was called. He becomes a farmer, Kvaharoeh, first-rate Talmud Chacham, a farmer, Pshuto Kamashma'o. And then when Rav Neria, the great revolution begins that you have to teach Torah in Israel and teach it within the context of Israel. In other words, there always were yeshiva here, there always was the yeshiva hayashan, uh, unfortunately, and I've spoken about this so many times, uh, they didn't succeed. In other words, 48, 49, 50, you could graduate 150 kids from Eitzchayim, and if, uh, remember I said, if 10% remain from, and a Jew in a Langebeckeshik gets up and says, Rabbi Rakefet, you're making a mistake, not 10%. One out of 125 remains from him. He says, I'm the one. Graduated, and he doesn't live in Israel. He lives in South Florida in real estate. Not a poor man, but Baruch Hashem, his grandchildren here. Thank God. So uh, you got to educate within the context of Israel. What worked 100 years ago may not work today. I mean, yeah, this is axiomatic to Chinuch. It took a long time in America to develop Torah that could attract an American kid. Uh, this is what, when did Yeshiva Shavuot begin? 1886. 
When did the first Jews arrive in America? 1564, because if I'm, if I'm wrong, it's 1554, check it out. But it took hundreds of years. And Rabbi Bina, they, they called them in, you got to give a shear in Kvaharoah. And he would come from the farm in his farm clothes and give a shear. He, he was an Eloi, Shas, Paiskim, Rishonim, Rapayim. All right, then, then he developed more yeshiva, and he developed quite a few. The most famous, of course, is the Tivmeya. When I came in Aliyah, maybe, Charlie, you remember this too in your time, the Tivmeya was the apex of, of, yeshiva, of, high, of yeshiva high schools. Oh, the Tivmeya. Where did the, the Lichtenstein's boy go now? They all went to the Tivmeya. Now, the Tivmeya had a terrible scandal. See, that's what hurts... I, I actually have a, know the people involved. It was a Haredi family, and uh, I mean, it's, I can't even repeat it. It's sickening. A guy with a long beard, Haredi girls, and uh, students. That put Nativ Meir out of business. How do I know him? I didn't know him, but his wife taught at Chorev, where my daughters went. So when the scandal broke, my daughters knew right away, this is the wife, the wife. That uh, put Nativ Meir down. And today Nativ Meir is Poshet Etzura Velovesh Etzura. It's no longer, you're aware, it's no longer in Baitvagan. It's gone. It's in, it's in Harmar. In Harmar. And I'll say you something later today that shows a connection it makes sense for Ayyubina's uh, yeshiva to be in Harmar. Uh, but not in it. Who, who organized yeshiva in Hakolta? It's Ayyubina. Who organized yeshiva in Hagolan? It's Ayyubina. And uh, I met him on a few occasions. I was always told by his... And he organized other yeshiva, but not all survived, but... I was always told by his students, a character par excellence. He was alive. He was a London. He was a farmer. He was a soldier. He was a Tzioni, Belaven Nefesh. Character par excellence. But I'll tell you what's amazing about him. With all that he became an Israeli, he could never shake Lithuania out of his blood. It was part and parcel of him. Now, I want to quote from a volume that's uh, well worth reading. It's uh, Ari Bena Olamot, A Lion Between Two Worlds. Sipur Chayavu Mishnatosh Halavav Aryeh Bina. The author is also very fascinating. I actually... Uh, on occasion, Dabin with him when he's his. I'll tell you his name. His name is Aviyad Hakohen. You see him all the time. He has articles in some of the Alonim they give out on Friday. He's a professor of law, a genius. His father should live and be well, well into his 90s, is Rav Menachem Hakohen. That's the name of anything. There were three brothers. Rav Mordechai Hakohen had three sons. One, Shmuel Avidur, two Pinchas Peli, three Menachem Hakohen, 
all three sons. The father wrote Svarim, and all three sons wrote. Pinchas Pelle, you recognize, came to America, taught at YU, got a doctorate at the seminary, uh, translated the Rav's Shivadrashat from Yiddish to Hebrew, and the Rav, uh, and it was not done with the Rav's permission, but the Rav said, eh, good katan, the Rav was pleased with his translation. And to please the Rav, you got to be on a level. And I, I can tell you that some of my chaverim, when we spoke a little less in horror Saturday night on a get-together, we were butchering, how can the Rav compliment Pelley, can a conservative rabbi? Fascinating, but his children turned out okay, Baruch Hashem. Shmuel uh, Avidur, you don't recognize the name, each one Avidur, Avhadar, it's not a uh, modest last name. He uh, published, wrote, Hevron Yeshiva Boy. He later married the, in a kibbutz, totally irreligious, married a lady there, I think it was a second marriage. His kids from his first marriage all wound up in Panovich and Hevron, and it's an amazing. And then he came back, the Sofia of Shmuel Abidur came back. He also wrote extensively. No, Menachem Akoin, anyone here did army when they still had a religious publication. Today it's all online. Bamachaneh. Do you remember Bamachaneh? Rav Menachem Akoin was the editor of Bamachaneh. Harav Menachem Akoin was the right hand of Rav Shlomo Goren. Harav Menachem Akoin was later the Rav of the Histadrut. There was a Rabbi Brendwein earlier from Meir Sharim. He was the Rabbi Histadrut. Rav Menachem Cohen succeeded him. Now this is his son, Aviyat HaKohen. Uh, and he did a biography of Rabbi. He studied in Ektizme. And he, he, this was his Rebbe. In English, uh, it's called, but there's no English edition as far as I know, but they translate it here, A Lion Between the Worlds. Rabbi Aryeh Bina, his life and Thought. Now, I'm, I'm just quoting from the chapter where the students recall what they got out of Rabarye Letiv Meir. And there's one underlying theme. Rabarye couldn't stop breathing the air of Lithuania. And here, these are Israeli kids. These are kids growing up here. It's, it's, it's a different frame of reference. I told you, I once spoke at, uh, oh, my, my uh, granddaughter, daughter-in-law, you're looking at the publication. So uh, it was a Pigeon Haben, okay? And I spoke at the Pigeon Haben, and I spoke about all the, the Kibbutz God, he had all the blood in this kid. Imagine, Mitzad this kid's great-grandfather is the Moroccan chief rabbi of Arakiva. Mitzad Sheini, another great-grandfather, a Talmud of Mori Urebi, Rabbi Yosef Dov Halevi Soloveitchik. And there's all types of Svartic blood, and Czechoslovakian blood, and Pelisher Dam, Pelisher blood, and Litvisher blood. And when I was finished speaking, 
I saw that my grandson didn't know what I was talking about because they're all Israeli. There's no... We're, we're Israelis, you know, in our world. We're not Haredim. We don't look down at Sephardim. I have a, a great nephew, a great niece, who's now marrying the granddaughter of the Sephardic chief rabbi of Elat. Elat. Uh, this, the boy she's marrying, his great, great uncle, I may be adding or skipping a generation, was Rabbi Vanja Hadaya. That's Rabbi Vanja Yosef's Rebbe Mufak. And you see, we're, we're Israeli. And here, these kids, Rav Bina gives them a feeling. Oh, Nita. And I quote, I quote beginning on page 318, that uh, time and again, the Talmud says, he would speak about the Nitziv, Reb Chaim, Reb Chaim Shmulevich, the Mira Rosh Yeshiva, and Rabbi would try to impress upon us, I got the Torah from them, I'm giving it to you, you're a link, and you must continue. And he, and he would tell these kids, go visit the classic Yeshivat, see the Gedola Yisrael, breathe the same air with them. And the kids, you know, they didn't always appreciate it. And one time he said to them, the stipler, Rav Chaim Kinevsky's father, Rav Yaakov Israel Kinevsky, the brother-in-law of the Chazal Nish, so the Gehila Jakov, he, he published on, on a good deal of shas. Today, if you have to give a shear, it's very easy to take the Kehila Jakov off the shelves and uh, you have a whole shir prepared for you, the Mahadrin. And he would tell the kids, go to his house and buy the books from him. And the kids would say, Rabbi, why do you have to go to B'nai Brak? We, we can go into a bookstore in, in Yerushalayim and buy the Kehila Jakov. No, no, go, see him, talk with him. Excuse me? They, won't sell, they don't sell them in bookstores. They only buy it. Well, here, I actually can tell you a story with that in a second. But he says, he says, Go, talk with him, see him, relate to him. Now, what you say, it, it, to a certain, I don't know black and white if no one sold it. No, no, but, he left it because he left the rights to his daughter and she's the one who sells it. In her uh, oh, now, now. But when he was alive, because I know, I know I had a Talmud in, in BMT and afterwards in Gris. Uh, Jonathan Berger, uh, it's after your time, Jonathan, Jonathan Berger. Uh, I had a special feeling for this young man because when I came to uh, 1961, at the age of 23, coming to Lower Marion Synagogue for a, a, a prabba, a tryout for the rabbinate, it was his parents who picked me up in the Pennsylvania station uh, I came in from New York to Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, and drove me and took me to the suburb to Lower, to Lower Marion. And lo and behold, I would later teach uh, two daughters and a son from that, the, the entire family. So Jonathan goes to B'nai Brak 
to buy the Gila Jacob. And he wants to buy the whole set. And the Gila Jacob says, no, no, no. Rakma Shatalo made. And he local takes Farim Lasun Baron Sparim. And he would only sell him on the immediate Mesek that he was learning. But you see, for for Rabbi Bina, just for a kid to appreciate this, to see a Gadol Hadar, money doesn't count, he's not here to sell, only what you're learning, it's an experience. And uh, <laughs> and he told, he tantalized the audience, Rabbi Bina, with the time he went to the rocket shuffle. Now, a few words have to be said about the rocket shuffle. Uh, Rav Yosef Rosen was the sharpest mind in the 20th century. Problem was with the rocket shuffle, he was so sharp that he was above the generation. And I've lectured on this in the Sunday class. He comes up with chumras, with civil marriage, you need to get shikra. Are you aware of this? I mean, he had had an unbelievable concepts and he could prove it a thousand times over but it, it didn't enter into the mainstream but the rocket shuffle was uh, Bialik went to the rocket shuffle you know the story and, and when Bialik came out they asked him was van undrach what kind of impression did he make on you and Bialik answers that one rocket shuffle equals two Einsteins. The other part of the story is they went to the rocket shuffle, the Kanoyim, we came and uncooking as our Russia, slowly stuck held with Nei Russia. And the rocket shuffle says, I looked down. I spoke with him, but I didn't look at him. Well, you can, uh, I, I believe what Babialik uh, uh, said, I don't believe what the rockets have answered, but he got them off his back. But anyway, he tells the story with the rocket shuffle that the Bolchanan Vasaman came in to speak with him in learning. And the rocket shuffle says to him, oh, 15 years ago we spoke about this topic. And Rebbe Hanan didn't recall what they spoke about 15 years earlier. He says the rocket shovel wanted to throw him out. Azam Aritz, that he doesn't remember what we spoke about 15 years earlier. But that was the rocket shovel. Rabbi Yibina had a, uh, I would say, a, a, what would be the word, a, a, a little, a sneaky attitude, a funny attitude a sense of humor, a little bit sarcastic. So um, they tell the following, he tells the following, so Ayubina says, and he's telling students, he's regaling them with these stories. Israeli kids, but he's taking them back to Europe. He goes to see the rocket shiner, Ayubina, waiting online to see him. In front of Ayubina is a famous Rosh Yeshiva. And that Rosh Yeshiva starts talking and learning with the rocket shover, and the rocket shover macht from an ash ublata. The rocket shover rips him apart, and he says, and you're a Rosh Yeshiva, and this is what you say. And Ayyubina is shaking. If he's killing a Rosh Yeshiva like that, what will he do to him? So Ayyubina 
moves aside, goes to the bookcase, takes out one of the rocket shabbos svarim, looks at an uh, Indian uh, in it, a sugya, and then he talks from learning with the rocket shava, word by word, what the rocket shava, rocket shava yells to the Rosh Hashiva, take a look, this little kid speaks better than you. <laughs> and, and, and Rabbi Yavina says, that Rosh Hashiva never forgave me. Now, I want to tell you, this I'm putting into parentheses, this is exactly what happened to me and changed my entire life. Exactly. Meaning, I'm getting married June 14th, 1960. And our time, the Minig Woods, before the Chuppah, after the Tuva, the Chatan spoke, gave the Devat Torah. Now, that's a Minig Israel, and all over the Minig is, if the Chatan opens his mouth, they cut him off. Oh, Jishama. Oh, when the Rav was sitting there, they never, you couldn't cut off. The Rav considered it a Chilu Hashem, Chilu Kvot HaTera. I spoke 22 minutes. I don't have the notes. I was fatumut. I'm getting married. A minute later, I left the notes on the table. When I came back, an hour later, they were gone. I have no idea what happened to those notes. The Rav, this is the story I told you. Rav Heschel tells the story. The Rav kissed me, hugged me. I didn't, I, I didn't realize the significance. Later in my research, where I have the Rav crying, my father never kissed me. I write about it in, in, my, work, in my first volume on the Rav. I recognized the significance. I didn't pay any attention. During the Sheva Brachat, I get a note, Mr. Abrams wants to see me. The Menachel of the Yeshiva, Norman the Abrams. I go to his office, and Mr. Abrams says, Arnold, but I saw at your wedding, I never saw anywhere else. I told Dr. Belkin, and I'm looking at him. He tells me, the rough kid, and we've agreed the next opening for Rosh Yeshiva, we're appointing you. And I have to say, one year later, less than a year later, why you kept its promise. I get a telegram, I'm rabbi in Lower Marian Synagogue. I get a telegram, Dr. I got the telegram on Thursday, I didn't really, I should have saved it. It's in a, you know, at the time you were a kid, this is normal. Telegrams from the yeshiva want to see you. 10 o'clock Monday morning, I'm in Hashirin to Dr. Belkin's office. It's been like Mamana, Rosh Yeshiva, we drink a Lechaim, etc., etc. Tell me, what was the Torah I spoke about? I give you, as far as I recall, there was not one word of mine. I was saying over Chidushim from the Rav. And he got all excited. Loved it. It's your Chidushim. What am I doing? I'm not adding. I'm not subtracting. I'm, I'm a monkey yapping your words. But he loved it. When I read the story with Reb Aryeh and the Ranget Shava, I said, wow, that's exactly what happened to me. If I would have been the Rav, I would have said, no, what are you, Machadesh? You're saying over what I said. Add something. Subtract something. Move sideways. I said over. As I recall, I wish I had those notes. As I recall, it was word by word. Chidushim from the Rav, the Mesechet Sanhedrin. 
but he loved it. That's Rabaye. He he tantalized. Then he tells the Ragged Shabbat tells the following story. Where is the Ragged Shabbat in Dvinsk? In this is in Latvia. In Dvinsk there were two Gidole Yisrael. One was the Ragged He was the Rav of the Hasidim. The Ragged came from a Hasidic background. He was a student in Tomchei Tamimim in Lubavitch. In that day, I, I remember I told you Lubavitch. We'll talk about it shortly, and if not today, next uh, next time we meet with uh, Yeshiva Chachma Lublin. He he was one of the early students of Tomchei Tamimim. That the seven, that the fifth Rebbe that the Shalom Dov Bear opened in Lubavitch, and he came from a Hasidic background, so he was the Hasidic Sharav. The Litvish Sharav was Reb Meir Simcha Kohen was a gone idea. If you're familiar with the Arsameyach, you know, his Khalifis, his understanding, his Lamdanut, and, and the Ranked Shava was the Bucky, Bucky Olin. And uh, they were so different. The Ranked Shava remained a Vilda. I can only say the news, I don't want to translate it. Yoma will get upset if I speak that way about the rocket shover. And he remained a wilder. And the Yosameach was absolute deportment and beauty, self-confidence. Ah, something very special, dignified. So uh, they asked of Reuben Katz, and uh, I'm mentioning Yomo, if you can tell Rav Ruben Katz's great-great-grandson who studies in, uh, in Torah Shraga, that I'm mentioning him as great-grand, the Degel Ruben, his great-great-grandfather now. So uh, Rabbi Levine asked, asked Rav Ruben Katz, how do you explain this? Two Gedoli Israel, one city, the whole world turned to them, Chassidim to the Rakat Shava, Litvakim to Rabmeya Simcha, so different in personalities. So Rav Ruben Katz said it's very simple. They were both wild youngsters. Bright kids can be wild. You have to tame them. They were both bright youngsters. But what characterized Rav Simcha? Kharifut. Depth. Understanding. When he grew older, he recognized it's not nice for a Talmud Chacham to be wild. What characterized the Ragged Shava? The Ragged Shava had a phenomenal memory. There was nothing he didn't know. Kala Torah Kula, Shas, Paiskim, Medrash, etc. Well, when you have a phenomenal memory, you remember you're a wild kid. No, what's wrong? I'm a wild kid. I'm still a kid. I'm still wild. And that's, that's the Lo hayayacho He could never forget who he was. A vilda, a wild one. On page uh, 381, he has a, uh, a beautiful story. He's telling the Talmudim. He says, here in Israel, 
you have a mind of your own, you do what you want, you argue with your rebellion, you act differently, you don't listen all the time. He says, in Europe, you did exactly what your Rebbe wanted. He tells the following story. Again, it's a sense of humor uh, that the Rav uh, had a shamus, the Rav of the city, and uh, they tell the Rav this Balabas died. So the Nohag, uh, how would you say that, the procedure, what they did in Europe, the Rav would prepare a hespid and the shamus would go to the home of the deceased and prepare the funeral. Fine. The Rav says to the shamus, Chaim Yankel died, go to his home, arrange the funeral. He comes to the house, Chaim Yankel opens the door. What are you doing here? And uh, what would you say? You double talk. Eh? No, the shamus was, he said, the rub sent me to prepare your funeral. And that, that's what he said to the poor guy who's alive and kicking and looking at him. But Rabbi Venus said, this shows you the rub speaks the derecheres. You don't change anything. I'm here. The rub sent me to prepare your funeral. Now, but there's another side to the coin. As much as he interpreted mere Europe, yeshiva, gedoli Israel into the Israeli reality, but he always considered the yeshiva has to be like it was in the outer hand. And here, if you ask your own children who studied in the 70s, the 80s, when Rabbi Levine was a shame dava, you'll find out there's a lot of criticism of him, particularly in the Mekas Harav crowd. Why? And very simple. Merkaz Rav got involved, we're in Israel. Yehuda Vishomra, 67. Rav, Kuk, Rav Svi Yehuda Kuk's famous talk on Yom Yerushalayim, do you remember what I'm talking about? On Yom Atzmut, I should say, it's there before Yom Yerushalayim, where he breaks down and cries, we don't have Eretz Yisrael. Where is Beit Lechem? Where is Hebron? breaks down and cries. Where is the Eratikan a few weeks later? 67. So Mechazarab got involved in Gushamunim demonstrations, Sebastia, Hebron, Miriam and, and Yaakov Levinger. I mean, we all live this. We all know what we're talking about. Aryeh Bina never allowed his students to cut yeshiva to take part in demonstrations. Yeshiva, you learn. All you do is learn. Demonstrations, politics. It's when you graduate. He was never a Gush Emunim activist on that level. Total Mizrachiite, 100%. But a yeshiva is a yeshiva and we're a continuation of mere Slabotka tells Rotten what was and should be. That's one part of the story. 
<sighs> Another part, he was upset with Mekasarav. What does that mean? Mekasarav, the dominant personality is Rav Tzvi Yehud the cook. He gave Sheyurim in Machshava, Kuzari. His father's thinking, what was already published from Rav Avram Yitzhak Cohen Cook, the philosophic sperm. Wait a minute. In a yeshiva, you have such studies? Didn't have it in Mir, didn't have it in Slapatka. A yeshiva? Shas, Mishainim. Any other study you do on your own afterwards. But a yeshiva, kulo kadosh to limud shas paiskim yeshiva training, studies, classes, guidance. That was Rabbi Yelavi, Rabbi Bina. Not happy with the additional studies at Mekas Harav. What did I say a half hour ago? It's very fitting, very proper. Ma'od matim, that his greatest achievement, Yeshiva High School he organized, today it exists in her Choma. What am I referring to? When you study the history of Yeshiva, many times there's Machloket, divisions, the Musa fight, what went on? Wow. The Musa within, the Vardik, Slabatka, etc., etc. All right. Kinet Sofrim, Tamber Chachma, it could be it works to our ultimate good. Mekasarav had one tremendous Machloket and split. What was it about? Right. And it's an interesting topic. Takes us back to Yeshiva University a hundred years ago. Yeshiva University a hundred years ago. Teachers Institute. Know what I'm talking about? Yeshiva began. Yeshiva You have a high school. You have a college later. But the yeshiva is a yeshiva. There were students who didn't want uh, Total Talmud program. There's more to life than just Gemara. So they uh, began a Teachers Institute. Actually, the Teachers Institute began by Mizrahi in 1917. Mizrahi needed teachers. All over America you had Talmud Torahs. Norm, did you ever go to a Talmud Torah? No, I taught. I taught in the Talmud Torah. I taught uh, in... uh, Lower Marian Synagogue, we had a Talmud Torah, and in Maplewood, we had a Talmud Torah. Uh, Maplewood, I taught part of part of my years there. Afterwards, I, 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 we were able to hire someone to run the Talmud Torah. Today, you don't have Talmud Torahs. It's uh, not not in the Orthodox world. Anyone who's Shemesh Shabbos, the kids go to a day school. But at one time, the Talmud Torahs were very big, and not only big, a lot of Terrific Jews taught in the conservative temples. 
And there are a lot of kids today who are great-grandparents of Dorot Shleimim, of Yerein Vishleimim, and they became from through these teachers in the conservative Talmud Torah. So the children of Meisha, and I knew many, and ach, fa- fascinating story. But uh, when Teachers Institute began, it was under the auspices of Rav Meir Berlin, the Mizrahi, America. It, it was not totally successful. They had to produce teachers, the school. Rabbi Revel left New York. He was called to help his family. He, had, he married into, Rav Moshe Bick used to say about Rabbi Revel's marriage to Chaya Sarah Travis, Reb Moshe Bick said to me, I quote, it was the first shidduch made in America. And he had a smile. I remember Moshe Bick had a beautiful smile. And he left. And he was right. Here you had this Ilui from Europe who comes to America. Shas Paiskin had a photographic memory. He could quote Tosfus by heart. It's a fact. It's my co- I'm not saying this because I'm talking about my cousin. The fact he's my cousin is secondary. Gets a PhD. No, he needs a wife. Rabbi Shimon Zivitz of Pittsburgh, who occasionally would go to Marietta, Ohio, to answer their shyness and see that the kashrut was Peseda. He made the shidduch with the daughter, a well-to-do family in Marietta, Ohio, the oil industry. He made the shidduch. 1909 between Rabbi Revel, Rabbi Dr. Dove Revel, and Chaya Sarah Travis. I, I just had the schut to know her, Mrs. Travis, Rebbitson Travis, Chaya Sarah, to know her very well. And those of you that have Rakafarar and Chilik Dalid, you see the letter she wrote about me, which is the best smicha I ever got. It, it's better than the one I got from the Rav, Rav Shmuel Belkin, and better than the one I got from Rav Lesson. And that's a real smicha, tailored to the individual by Mrs. Revel Tzichrona Levracha. So, while Rabbi Revel went back to help them, they were, read, read, read my work on Revel, you'll understand the oil business, stand it all was cutting into them and had a monopoly, they needed help to try to save the business. Ultimately, they had to give up, and they were never as wealthy as they were in 10, 15 years earlier. So Rabbi Rebbe left New York, and the Mizrahi played a big role in taking over the yeshiva, running the yeshiva, and Rabbi Barilan was involved, and they made Teachers Institute part of the yeshiva. And there was a tremendous outcry. What are you bringing in a Teachers Institute with courses in education and Jewish history and Jewish philosophy? It's not a yeshiva. But they took them in to a separate division. In the state of Israel, that's exactly what happened with Merkaz Harav. It reaches a point students need employment. Uh, Merkaz Harav Talmidim generally didn't go to university. They didn't go to Machon Lev. They didn't become scientists, medical doctors, etc. But they want to teach. 
In order to teach now, Israel is much more organized. You need a teacher's certificate. In order to get the certificate, a teacher's license, you have to take courses. Merkaz Arav introduced courses that would lead to a teacher's certificate. To that Hora'ah. Some of the people of Merkaz, led by Rav Tal, Rav Zuckerman, a few others, broke with Merkaz Haraf. This is not a yeshiva. You don't bring in other subsidiary, secondary, supplementary courses. A yeshiva has to be Altarat HaKodesh. And they broke and went to Hamar. And today you have two massive institutions, Mekhaz Harav, with its classic, traditional Mekhaz Harav program, much broader than simply the way it was in Velazhin. And on the other hand, you have Hamar and tremendous educational complex there. Anyone who's been to that area, wow. And now, Rabbi Abina's high school, the Tiv Mayor, winds up in Harmar. And you have to give credit. The Tiv Mayor, Ayyabina, no demonstrations, no politics, no machshava. Perfect shirach, hamar, shas, paiskim, nothing else. Yeshiva is kula al tarat ha kodesh, and that's exactly, exactly what Rabbi Aryeh Bina established, contributed, and he raised. A tremendous generation of students. You have no idea how many important people, rabbanim, professors, many aspects of life are talmidim of Rabbi And anyone who is exposed to him, they still have within them a feeling what was in Lithuania. What was in Lithuania. It's part of their blood. It's in their veins. It was Rabbi Yubina. Give you a simple example, bringing it all to home. Uh, when I was growing up, I was privileged to know someone that we called the Babe. The Babe, Rabbi Lichtenstein. I've been asked a thousand times over, how did he get the nickname the Babe? And the answer is very simple. Rabbi if you look at it, I have great-grandchildren with, with, with the same face. Halavai, they should be just as smart and just as dedicated. Big round face. When you grow older, your face, you know, it contracts. You don't have that big round face anymore. So we called him the babe. All right, Rebaran Lichtenstein, Rebaran Lichtenstein. And he was Rebaran. I don't like people who say... Oh, you knew Rabbi Lichtenstein? He was Rabbi Soloveitchik's son-in-law. No, it's... He was Rabbi Lichtenstein. Great, 
long before he became the Rav's son-in-law. The fact that he's the Rav's son-in-law is a credit to the Rav, that Baruch Hashem, that the Rav's daughter knew how to choose properly. And uh, Rabarin, you know, Kulo Torah, I don't have to tell you, Shas Munach Lofanov Kukufsevs, Baruch totally at home. In everything in Shas, Kodshim, Tarit, Mzikin, Nashim, Moeds, totally at home, totally at home, Israel. Wow. So uh, he sent his kids to Nativ Meya. So take a look. Yitzi, son number two, I remember the kids when they were gleaming their parents' eyes. And uh, where is Yitzi today? Torah Vadas. Rosh Shiva, go online, listen to his shayurim. Is he speaking English or speaking English? What's he speaking? You can't believe this kid. But I tell him, all right, he didn't absorb the Israeli scene, but he certainly absorbed Lithuania from Rabbi Yebina. Totally at home. Went to America to take care of his grandfather, Totally at home. Born Washington Heights. Raised Yerushalayim. The genes of Lita 100% overwhelmed him. And uh, that's, that's Yitzhi. All right. You know who he's married to, Yitzhi Lichtenstein? He is the great-grandson of Rab Chaim Briska. And he's married to the great-granddaughter of Reb Chaim's Talmud Muvhag, Reb Baruch Leibovitch. He's married to a Gruzovsky. Her father, when I learned in Lakewood, her father was still in Lakewood, Reb Chaim Gruzovsky, the son of Reb Ruven Gruzovsky, the son-in-law of Reb Baruch Leibovitch. And it's his daughter married to Reb Aaron's son, I hope I'm not skipping a generation. If anyone listening can correct me, you're welcome to, but it's essentially as I'm telling it. And, and I can understand it. This was Reb Aryeh. This was Nativ Meir. To a certain degree, Hakoto, Yeshiva Tragolan. The Litvisha button is there. You press it, you can gain a great deal. My uh, grand, I have many grandsons who did Hezder at Hakotel. So one grandson tells me an interesting story that in in the army, you know, you meet Chiloniyim. It's the first time Chiloniyim meet Datiyim and Datiyim meet Chiloniyim because generally we grow up, you know, isolated. And there was a kid he met in the army and they were friendly. And the kid was intrigued by what are these yeshivas about? And uh, the kid came to visit Hakotel, and uh, he was overwhelmed by the atmosphere, by the learning, by the, I would say, the feeling of sacredness, of purpose, of Kedusha. Now that's one side of the coin. But there's another side of the coin. 
My grandson met someone from, uh, it could be yeshivat, Hebron, one of the traditional yeshivat. And this kid too was enticed by my grandson. And he comes to Hakotel, and my grandson meets him outside, and he says to him, Ah, oh, they only learn machshavah here, they learn chumah They come into the yeshiva, hundreds of students learning shas and paiskim. And he was overwhelmed, you know. He was told that in these Hezda Yeshiva it's not real learning and it's not real Torah and it's uh, side issues and minor issues. And you could feel in our Kotel, people will tell me, you can see Rabbi's influence with the learning. All right? It's not exactly mere, but you can see it's descended from mere and Slapatka. I'd come the introduction. All right. I need not tell you. I give examples of uh, Rabaye and Rabbi uh, Hil Yaakov. Uh, I think I'm sitting in front of you. You, you see yourself that uh, I can't shake out of me the literature love of learning and you're at Shemayim. Can I pass it on to my great-grandchildren? I'm not sure. They're growing up here. They're growing up in a different environment, different needs, different challenges. They're going to be very big bears, Rath Hashem, in learning and Torah and Godlet and Torah. Will they have the same feeling I have for what came before? Probably not. But at least I can say that their commitment and dedication was sparked by my generation, what we saw and what we brought here and what we created here. Baruch Hashem. How do we put it? How did the Rav put it when he eulogized the town of Rebetzin? I'll say it in modern Hebrew. And you can't say it better. You can't say it better. This is what Torah is about. And this is how we survive. This is how the Jewish people are here. And this is the message. This is what we have to bring, teach, live, inspire. Lo Pashut, I have to be honest, I, I was hurt. The vote on Hamids and hospitals the whole opposition voted against the bill. Trapper? Philly Trapper? From boy, Danny Trapper's son? Guns? Raised in Munkaj, Satma? Akidekach, that Hamid's on Pesach? Don't understand it. Lieberman? You come from Russia? Jews were mice and nefesh. Chametz. I know. I told you the story, but Tzalel Shift. I tell you this. I don't want to waste them. But so a story worth repeating. Who was Tzalel Shift? He headed up Shamir. What was Shamir? The Lubavitcher Rebbe gave the name in the late seventies when people are coming out of Russia and they want to be from Shamir. Shoma Mitzvat Yotze Russia. Shamir. So Batsalel Shif headed it up. It was not far from Shvutami, a few blocks further on David Jelen. I knew him quite well. Actually, he sent for me. I, I 
it's not I can't go into it now, but looking to Washington, I told the story. So he tells among his many stories he tells, but this story is unbelievable. He, uh, he was a teenager and he was a firm kid, and one of the Russian Yama, uh, uh, what would you call it? Uh, uh, Bukhara, it's what's a country? What do you call it? It's part of the Soviet Union. Uh, what's it called? A state? A country? No. Satellites. A uh, what? A uh, what? Satellite countries. What would you call it? Let's ask a Russian. No. What, what are you talking about? The area of Bukhara? Yeah. What would you call it? Bukhara, Georgia, Tbilisi. Union, but one was, it didn't have a name unto itself. It's a separate country, a satellite, or oh, whatever. So he, he, everyone knew that he was a from kid. And he gets uh, um, police come to his door, deliver a message that the head of the whole area, the KGB, what not, this lady wants to see him. And he has to appear, and he's shivering, shaking comes in, she closes all the windows, pulls down the shades, closes the door, swears him to secrecy, and she says, I want you to bring me wrapped up, no one should see two kilo of matzah I must have for my family, my mother and family. The Mesirat Nefesh. And they voted against, voted against. But all right, we have to be positive, strong, set a fabulous example. Ah, my dear students, I now want to move in to the Eastern European world. But as I told you, I'm not doing the logical, chronological order at first. Logically speaking, and I intended, when I started preparing the Sheyurim years ago, I intended to begin with Voloshin. Voloshin was the granddaddy of all Yeshivat. But the more I got involved, there's a mate mitzvah, and a mate mitzvah comes first. And what am I referring to? There was one yeshiva that was not a Litvish yeshiva. One yeshiva that, yes, it may have been inspired by the Litvish yeshiva, but it was revolutionary in many ways. And it was a Polish yeshiva, Yeshiva Chachmei Lublin. The man who founded Reb Meir Shapiro a legendary figure on one hand and on the other hand the tragedy of his life is overwhelming and I wanted to lift up this mate mitzvah and start with Yeshiva Chachmei Lublin afterwards we'll come of Elohim and the Litvish Welt that you know about. But Hachle Lublin, very fascinating, ties in, by the way, with Yeshiva University, Yeshiva Shvitz with Rabbi Revel. 
and uh, his vision I, if only if only he had built in Palestine how different the story would have been and let me talk about a few words today about the Mayor Shapiro afterwards we'll speak about the yeshiva for sale and then we'll come back and analyze its development, its story, its dedication. There's a sideshow involved of uh, the Rav and a guy named Rakefet in Australia. It's a very fascinating topic. Now, Reb Meir Shapiro, his name is actually Reb Yehuda, Mayor Shapiro, but everyone knows him. A lot of times people go with their middle name. Uh, uh, the Rub, for instance, was Yosef uh, Dovalevi Soloveitchik. Family and close friends knew him as Beryl. Beryl is Dov. In Yiddish, is Beryl Dov Bear. Beryl. It's, no one knew him as Yosef. No one called him Yosef. But his close friends called him Beryl. Beryl. His years, 1887-1933. So you see his a short life, a very short life. Now, uh, he was born in, when, in Galicia. He's a, a, this part of Poland. Uh, again, Poland, uh, Galicia. At times it was independent, at times it's part of Poland, at times it's part of Czechoslovakia. But he came from good stock, a wealthy family. This is very important in understanding his vision, his ideals. A well-to-do family. He, he never lacked for bread. He never lacked for clothes. His family, father, businessman. His grandmother, Bezivik Shaney, when she was widowed, and the Brijana Rav, the Masham Shvadron, Mordechai Shalom Shvadron, or Shalom Mordechai Shvadron, I should say, the Brijana Rav married his grandmother, Pacific Shaman. And the Brijana Rav, you're talking about a Posek Muvhak, uh, probably the most famous Posek in Galiciana, Polish Galiciana. Uh, you know the Masham Shvadran, you know his grandson. He used to come to BMT and, and give uh, he, the, the, the Darshan Yudushalmi, that, that was his grandson, named for him. The Bajana Rav was quite an individual, very unique, uh, great posek. I'll tell you a side story. Uh, we, I was once talking with the Rav, this is maybe 78, when I knew a little bit how to learn. And we're talking, and we're talking about Rav Chaim, and I, I believe if anyone here studied Trefus, you know that Rav Chaim had coolest in Trefus, beyond the usual poskim. So uh, I, I asked the Rav, I said, you know, Rebbe, it's not only Zayda that had these coolers, the Bijan Rav, the Masham had coolers, unbelievable. 
He had kulas in many aspects, Rolamdin Mufak, Hafgat Kedushin, etc., Beetle Haget. I can't go into it now, but I've published about this. So I asked the Rav, how come the uh, right wing at times persecuted the Masham Shvadrin? They wanted to put him in Cherem, the Sumekil, and no one ever bothered the Rav Chaim. So the Rav looks me right in the eye and says, my Zaydu was smart enough never to publish. That, that, that's the way the Rav answered it. But because the Masham Shvadran became part of the family, and he was known as an Ilui, and he took a shine to him and, and taught, taught him so that uh, Rav Meir Shapiro not only had Shas and Paiskim, but he had what you would call Shimush, by Echad Megadole Haposkim. He was something very special. In 1910 already, he went into the rabbinate. He was a rav in Galina, also in that area. Afterwards, in Sanuk, uh, from there, Piotrakov, you know who succeeded him when he left Piotrakov to go to Lublin? Anyone know? Rav Lau's grandfather, Rav Meir Yisrael Lau's father, became the Piotrka Rav, Rav David Lau, the chief rabbi today. This was a rabbinate that ran in his family. His grandfather succeeded the Maram Lublin as Rav in Piotrkov. Now, he was a tremendous speaker, not only a London tremendous speaker, got involved with Agurich Yisrael, served in the Polish, Polish, Polish parliament called the Sejem as a representative of Agurich Yisrael. And uh, he was a Nish Eshkalot. He was an individual Bucky and Shasim Paiskim. And by the way, I, I want to make clear when we speak about Galatianus and Palish and Hasidisha, we're talking about people who had tremendous pekiyot. They didn't have Chaim's learning. It wasn't Reb Chaim or Reb Shimon Shkop or, or, or yeah, Reb Naftali Trapp, you know, with the, with the Litvish alumnus. But they had Shas and Paiskim. And, and this, by the way, continues until today. You go into B'nai Brak, Yeshiva Chachmei Lublin, the Hasidish Yeshivas. There's one there, Rav Wuzner, That's He was a Talmud of Maram Shapiro. But you go into the Chassidish Yeshivas today, they still learn Shas, Paiskim, Lahalacha, very different than a Litvish Yeshiva. That difference still continues until today. The Svadic world is basically much more like the Chassidish world in learning than the Litvish world. These are basic differences in approach, Harifat, Bekiyot, Sinai, who is more important, the Yoke Harim or the Sinai? All right, that's a Sugyan Brachadet, and we're all familiar with this question. And But here you have an individual, but he not only was a Lamdin Mufak, he spoke perfect Polish. How many Jews could go into the Sejem and be orators that even every guy had a perk up his ears and listened to. This was Meir Shapiro. 
he didn't have to ask for tzedakah. He was wealthy, married into a wealthy family, his own family, dignified with Meir Shapiro. Now, Agorich Yisrael, and this is very important to understand, Agorich Yisrael goes on the map after World War I. Before World War I, there were all types of plans the world was changing. Unfortunately, Chilul Shabbos started to raise its head even in Poland, even in Galicia. Hard for us to comprehend, because when we grew up, our teachers would speak of Europe, everything was great and wonderful and from and good. Ah, Halavai it was so, but it was not. And uh, there was a lot of talk in unity there is strength. It actually was a Yekka, a German uh, Levy, Rabbi Yitzchak Levy. He had studied in Volusian. He was from Germany. He had Hasidic overtones. He was a historian. Dorot Harishonim, very important volumes. And he was the one who germinated the idea why can't we combine? Litvakin, Sidim, Germans, the Torah unites us in unity, their strength. They started talking about it already in 1909, 1910, and they finally called the major conference for 1914. That conference never took place. World War I broke out. But that's how Rav Cook, Rav Avram Yitzhak Cook, gets stuck in Europe. People don't realize, what was he doing there? <clears throat> he was traveling to the conference to be at the founding conference of Agudit Yisrael. It never took place. After World War I, 1919, it got off the floor. And that founding conference took place in Katowice, which was on the border between Poland, Czechoslovakia. That's where our Gura starts to function. Now, I, I don't want to go into a lot of detail, but you have to understand, Zionism is very big now. Following World War I, Zionism goes on the map. A Gura is caught in a crossfire. On one hand, Torah Jews love Eretz Yisrael. The whole Zionist movement was born because for 2,000 years we prayed that 2,000 years we did not forget Eretz Yisrael. On the other hand, how can you associate with Ben-Gurion, with Chaim Weizmann, with Golda Meir, with the second Aliyah, 1914 to 1924, basically, or, or I should say second Aliyah, excuse me, 1904 to 1914. And the second Aliyah is the Aliyah that built Israel. What they're demonstrating in Tel Aviv 
is because they've lost the atmosphere of the second Aliyah and they're not going to get it back. They don't have the numbers. They don't have the children. And they're frustrated. Their back is against the wall. 1904, 1914, that built Israel. Hishtadrud, Bikr educational system, Herzliya, the, the gymnasiums. And how can you associate with them? And a, a, a good uh, faced a difficult quagmire. On one hand, Torah is Torah, Shabbat, Kashrut, Tarat, Mishpacha, etc. On the other hand, we love Eretz Yisrael. So a good gets off the floor. It can It is not Zionists, but the love of Eretz Yisrael is there, and and this can be contradictory at times. Because Aguda makes a declaration in 1919 which they never formally abolished. The Eide Haredit doesn't let them forget that they never abolished it. They make a declaration there can be no Jewish sovereignty in Eretz Yisrael before Mashiach Tzitkenu. No Jewish sovereignty. Hey, wait a minute. Where's Aguda today? They're all in the government. They're all They're all involved in making decisions of sovereignty. I don't have a problem. I'm Benayakivinik. I'm Ezra, Ariel, whatever youth organization my great-grandchildren belong to. But I got On the other hand, they love Eretz Israel. And from the very start, Aguda has a caring for Eretz Yisrael. They want to build. They're in favor of building, in favor of settling. And Aguda will always be under attack. Munkaj, Satma, remember my lectures on Satma. How can you be pro-Eretz Yisrael? How can you be pro-Aliyah? This dichotomy, this Hegelian challenge, thesis, antithesis, Agudu has to live with it. And Satna will never join Agudu. Bells before the present forever would never join Agudu. It's fascinating. On the other hand, Ger, a major Hasidic dynasty. They were the power that put our good around the map. The Gera Rebbe, the Re'aim of Avram Mordechai, the third Gera Rebbe, the son of the Svatemet. Many trips to Eretz Yisrael. Pro. Pro settling. Appreciation of Rav Avram Yitzhak Cohen Cook. This was Gera. I'll talk more about the Gera Rebbe because my student, the Gera Chassid, gave me a beautiful volume of letters of the Re'em, but I, I don't want to, it's not for now. I'll mention it when I'm, I do want to call attention to some of his letters. But see, this was Hakuda. The Rujina dynasty, pro Eretz Israel, 100%. A good system, but filled with love, settled, do, and 
Many of the Rushima dynasty later settled in Eretz Yisrael, in Tel Aviv, the Rushima Rebbe, etc. Sadiq Rebbe, some of them became formal Mizrahiites. But this was a good, uh, this was Rav Meir Shapiro. He was a Hushina Chassid. It's part of the Rushina dynasty. And his love for Eretz Yisrael, it will be reflected in, in the yeshiva, in Kajim, in what he wants them to study. Uh, the Beisam Migdash, the model, you're going to see his ideas. But this was possible within Agurit Yisrael. It was never Munkaj or Satma or Bells. They criticized Agudit Yisrael. It never became Mizrahi with total friendship and understanding of the Chiloniyim and Rav Avram Yitzhak Akoin Kok and they have the big mitzvah of Yeshiva Aretz and building could never be totally Mizrahi. But this was Agudit Yisrael of the 20s, the 30s. This was Rav Meir Shapiro. Okay, let me end off. The 20s, he's very active in Agudat Yisrael. Nothing he did was more lasting or more important than that the Knesiyah Gedolah, the first Knesiyah Gedolah, 1923 in Vienna, his proposal of the Daf Yomei. And we'll come back to it in great detail. And I just, doing an overlook at his life, I just want to end off speaking about the Dafyomi. Uh, first of all, it could be he didn't come up with the idea. Could be he heard it from someone else. But he publicized the idea. He's the one who got up at the convention and introduced it and publicized it and once the Gera Rebbe embraced it, it was on the map. And you got to understand that Chatkava Chassidim, you're talking Russian, Chatkava, you're talking, all right, tens of thousands of Chassidim. Gera represented hundreds of thousands of Chassidim. And I want to quote what he said in 1923, 21st of August, at the Knisiagadola, the World Conference of Akurich Israel representatives even from the United States. And he says it would be a fabulous idea if all the Jews, wherever they are, that they would learn the safe, same Daf Yomi. And he says this would be a tangible feeling. Yisrael, the Oraita, the Kudshaberichu, he's quoting the Zohar, Pasuk Jews, God, Torah, we're one. And no matter where we are, we're learning the same daf. And he says, I'll give you an example. A Jew travels from Poland to America. For two weeks, he's on the boat. He's learning Mesechet Brachat. 
And when he arrives at Sotabrit on American soil, he goes into the base Medrash and he finds the Jews learning the same Daf Gemara. Could anything unite the Jews more? This was a fabulous proposal. Now, there's criticism. I, I'm sure you're aware of it. The, the Litvakin laugh at it. You know, when davened up a daf gemara, I've seen some of my students, they do daf yomi like I say, ashrei yashvei right? I look at it a little bit differently. At least they're learning a daf gemara. All right, they don't have the comprehension our literature puts in with Rambam and Rishayim and understanding. But the unity, the strength, and look what you have today in a, a Israel, America. They hold a seum. They rent a stadium. 70,000 Jews, 80,000 Jews, one stadium. Long Island, they rent another stadium, 40,000 Jews. Israel, Binyanei Huma, Tel Aviv, one stadium after another, tens of thousands of Jews come to a Siam Hashas. It's a fabulous idea. And Mayor Shapiro, this was one of his two great ideas, nothing succeeded like the Dafyomi. There he won out. The second great idea that we'll talk about next time we meet, the Shiva Chachme Lublin, it breaks the heart when you study about what this man did, what this man achieved, and how quickly we lost it and Hitler and what happened subsequently. It's heartbreaking. Okay. By the way, next week there's no class on Monday. I, uh, 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 thanks, Morty, for sending out the announcement. Uh, there are reasons why. Number one, I, I want to fast a part of the day at least. I realize my age and all the hatarim. <laughs> But I, can't, but I can't teach, I won't have energy. And people are listening right now, I'm looking at people all over the world, and I don't interfere, you know, it's a fast day for them, I don't want them to be up all night, the night before, just to hear this year. So uh, we'll give respect to Haman, and, and call off the class, but establish a time it, and maybe we'll have a key, and you follow me, Woody? We're giving respect to Haman, it's a bit of and, uh, but next Sunday, everything normal. And the week after Purim, everything back to normal, Sunday and Monday. So what did we do today? We finished out the introduction. A feeling of Europe, a feeling... See, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Bina, you get it on a different level. It's, uh, Rabbi, the Sri Deyesh was in Germany, all right? Little Germany, not that far away. Rabari Bino was in a different world altogether. He already was part of the recreation of Torah, Alat Matakodesh, modern day Israel. It's not the, you know, the old yeshiva continue, Baruch Hashem. They also have to recreate themselves, but it's a slower process. But even Rabari, 
he tantalized the students with bringing the European background that he had, making it tangible. And in addition, it affected his whole thinking. He already was not a Mechas Haravnik. You don't send students out to demonstrate, to go to Sebastia. We don't need classes in Kuzari. A yeshiva has to be like Mir Slapatka, Tells, etc. Okay, and now we're beginning Yeshiva Tachma Lublin. It's a fascinating topic. You'll see the uniqueness of Meir Shapiro, but all right, Old Chazon Lamoed. Now, are there any questions from the erudite people? Can't say young people. I, uh, no, we're not youngsters in this room. Outside of the Yomo is still young. At least he thinks so. He's making a mistake in that respect, but uh, at least he thinks so. Until we meet again in health and happiness, das vidanya. Yomo, can you open me up to the world? Yomo, uh, I like to die. Uh, Mori, open me up to the world. Yomo's davening or benching? I don't know which it is. Benching. When I went to get the Hilos Yaakov, I finally found where it was. Yeah. I called them up and I come get it. And then I asked them how much it was and they wouldn't tell me. Uh, wait, wait, this was his house there you thought? Yeah, his daughter's house in B'nai Brock. In B'nai Brock. I can't see where is it here. Uh, and it says any down there? No, here. Yeah, right. yeah, I just can't see where I am here. Okay. And they wouldn't tell me the price on the phone. Right. And when I got there, then they told me the price. And my daughter, Sara, said, you should have let me go get it. I would have told them I'm getting it for my chassan. They would have charged you a lot less. Aha, uh-huh. you're getting for your chassan. you a lot less. All right. Baruch Hashem. Uh, are they unmuted? Yeah, yeah. They, anybody wants yeah. to. Does anyone want a, any questions? Uh, Rebbe, maybe you're talking about uh, Soviet, Repub- Soviet republics. A Soviet Republic, that sounds right. That sounds right. They, what were there, 16 Soviet Republics? 16. Okay, Yomo says I'm right. Thank you, Mark. You hit the nail on the head. Uh, by the way, what you, Mark, what you asked me is very sad, because he is already considered a more enlightened Talmud uh, Chacham, and uh, he's, he's not correct in what he's saying. And uh, Halavai, the yeshiva world, would go into a format where every student would spend uh, time, time in the army. We need an army that's three times as big as it is today, and we need an army of dedication, and we need to protect our people. Hashem Yerachim, Hameni Tzaddikim, Hameni Tzaddikim, not alive, become kabbanat. Hashem Yerachim. All right, but all right, Nikavel Tov, and I hope the government can pull itself together, and the security can pull itself together, and we'll have good news that they killed the murder, that they captured the murderers. But that's not enough. We have to end it. We have to put the fear into them that they'll think twice before taking innocent Jewish blood. And we have to reach out to them. It's just a shame if they want, they can join, they can be Gertoshav, they can benefit from modern day Israel. We could all benefit together. But we have to reach out and see if there's anyone willing to take the message. 
America has interfered unnecessarily and, and their interference works against us because it encourages the Arabs to, to kill, to fight, they're going to win out ultimately, etc. All right, those are my humble opinions, but I defer to the politicians who are paid to think and do and achieve. Yeah, okay, uh, anything else? All right, I want to thank everyone for participating and honoring me with your presence. And until we meet again next Sunday, Be'ezrat Hashem, uh, it should only be good news. Besorah Tovah, the land of Al-Kol Yisrael, Das Vidanya. Okay.